This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, July 30th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. Candidate Obama pledged to reform national security policy to greater respect civil liberties. Now, President Obama wants access to all of the IDs of everyone you communicate with, your web browsing history, and quite possibly your continuous exact GPS location, all without having to ask a judge for permission. And more than that, says Cato Institute Research Fellow Julian Sanchez, the White House would like the ability to snoop through all manner of communications, whether those means of communicating exist or not. Just as the Washington Post uh, was debuting their uh, three-part investigative report on the American intelligence community and its links with uh, for-profit contractors, Uh, The Senate Select Committee on Intelligence reported that under a veto threat from Barack Obama, they would be removing from their version of the fiscal year 2010 intelligence authorization bill a provision that would have clarified the authority of the federal government's watchdog, the Government Accountability Office, to conduct reviews of intelligence community programs. Now, we know that uh, the GAO... Uh, has the capability to conduct uh, effective reviews, uh, really actually more thoroughly, I think, than the congressional committees themselves have. Uh, GAO has something like 200 uh, cleared, uh, you know, top-secret cleared staffers, uh, and I think almost half of those uh, hold some kind of additional uh, secret compartmentalized information clearance, which is sort of the, the most sensitive programs. Uh, and they also have uh, a lot of people with really specialized expertise in economics and uh, uh, you know, managerial design uh, that I think would provide a lot of help to uh, uh, you know a, a, a community that, as the Post report showed, is become so sprawling that uh, nobody really knows how effective it is. Uh, we know it's effective at funneling about fifty billion of its seventy-five billion dollar annual budget to uh, private contractors who uh, tend to staff themselves with. Uh, high-ranking former officials from uh, the intelligence community who often then go right back in. So the uh, nominee for the Director of National Intelligence is a former uh, president or chairman, I think, of the uh, basically the big uh, intelligence contracting trade group. Uh, we can assume that, like Mike McConnell, he'll uh, go find himself a sinecure at Booz Allen or another contractor when he's done with his job. Um, and so there's a real need here for oversight of the kind that GAO and other, uh, other watchdog agencies conduct everywhere else, and especially in this case where uh, the press is so much more limited in its ability to look into these contracts, into whether uh, we're getting uh, you know, value for our money or boondoggles like uh, the NSA's Trailblazer program, which in the early 2000s, Uh, essentially handed a contract to a company called SAIC that ran hundreds of million dollars over budget, ran years late, finally had to be scrapped because it was totally useless. Uh, And then the same company got the contract to do the follow-up, the new system to replace the one that they'd failed to do. So this is exactly the kind of sector that is begging for oversight from an agency like GAO, which uh, has the nice feature of being answerable to Congress rather than the executive branch agencies in which the inspector generals are located, uh, but also a certain amount of independence so that it's, it doesn't necessarily have the same set of political incentives that Congress has. 
And so uh, even James Clapper, uh, Barack Obama's nominee for the director of national intelligence, uh, said that in his experience at the Pentagon, he found that uh, GAO really held their feet to the fire. It wasn't necessarily comfortable, but he knew that the reports that they provided helped those agencies become better. And we know that the classified, often highly classified programs uh, that GAOs worked out in the past uh, have, have been improved by their efforts without any security leaks happening. So the concerns about that seem really misplaced. This is really a, a situation where it's the CIA, according to most reports, uh, that is holding this up, which is ironic because Leon Panetta, who is currently director of Central Intelligence, as a congressman, supported precisely legislation to increase GAO oversight of intelligence. Um, so this is, I think, just the CIA's traditional aversion to any kind of independent scrutiny, uh, blocking what ought to be a no-brainer policy. This week, President Obama has requested authority to have uh, a wide variety of information about communications, not necessarily the communications themselves, to be clearly not subject to judicial oversight. So it, what we discovered in, in 2008 was that for years, uh, the Federal Bureau of Investigation had been reading its authority to deploy national security letters, which are basically like, you know, uh, write your own search warrant uh, letters that can be used in theory for very, very limited types of information. The idea was originally that if you had someone you thought was probably a terrorist or a spy, the FBI didn't need to go to a judge. They could ask for very limited kinds of information just sort of on their own judgment. Um, but they had to have specific and articulable facts to think they were asking for a, basically a terrorist's records. And that all changed after the Patriot Act. Uh, they just have to basically say that they want the records because they think they're relevant and they get to decide what's relevant. But there was still a limitation on the types of records. You couldn't get just anything. You could get some very narrow data like whose account is this, what's their address, how long have they had that account, uh, and, and some what are called toll billing record information. Um, so at least if you wanted anything much more sensitive than that, not just the content of emails, but any more detailed records than that, you needed to still go to a judge. And it turns out that the FBI for a while had been reading their authority much more broadly than that using national security letters for records that they really should have gone to a judge for. And George Bush's Office of Legal Counsel said, well, you can't do that. The statute's quite clear. Uh, your authority is precisely as narrow as the statute says. And so now, uh, apparently Barack Obama has decided that the Bush-era Office of Legal Counsel, where John Yu signed off on warrantless wiretapping and torture uh, as a method of interrogation, uh, that they are just too respectful of civil liberties. And so what we need to do is expand the power under NSLs to be able to seek uh, any records that the FBI decides are relevant to a terror investigation, uh, whether or not the particular people whose records are sought are even remotely suspected of any kind of indirect connection to terrorism, uh, and that, uh, that we should modify the list of records they can get to include any an electronic communications transactional data which basically means what the FBI can now do is with no evidence, with nothing more than a certification of relevance, say, uh, we want to know, I mean, essentially the, the total web or online behavior and activity of everyone who visited a website we think is controversial, of everyone who has an activity pattern online that seems like it might be um, 
consistent with membership in, in a group that we're suspicious of. Uh, and, and that, I think, given the amount, the immense amount of information about all of us that's now tracked online, uh, is just far too much power uh, to, for, for certainly for any agency to wield without any kind of judicial scrutiny or evidentiary standards involved. Um, and there are no standards here. I mean, just think about all the things that could count as uh, a term n defined nowhere in the law as, as electronic communications transaction data. Uh, the transactional data that your cell phone generates as you move around, uh, tracking you either you know, in, in broad terms or with very precise GPS information. Uh, the information about who you're emailing, who you're calling, uh, but also what are you reading? And how, uh, what terms are you searching for when you, you know, sit, get up at night and, and uh, you know, have, a, have a glass of milk and, and have some strange thing in your head that you're going you're gonna to look up on Google? Um, and perhaps even more detailed information than that, because from transaction data, especially if you have a lot of it um, and, and can do some uh, pattern analysis and other kinds of sophisticated analysis of it, um, really a lot more fairly detailed information about your behavior and in some cases even the, the substance of, of what the communication might be about can at least potentially be inferred. Um, without getting into the technicalities of how that works, the problem here is that instead of specifically saying there might be some additional kinds of records that the FBI might need the ability to, uh, to, to gather, they are essentially at, uh, proposing to add this huge blanket term uh, that they cannot possibly understand the significance of because it covers technologies not even yet invented. And it covers methods of analyzing that data that may be classified, may not yet be invented. Uh, and, you know, the point is that there is no real way to fully grasp the significance of what an incredible incursion on privacy this change will permit. And, uh, but from what we know, certainly already, from what we can infer from technology as it is now, uh, the answer is a massive one. And I think the fact that they're trying to claim this huge increase of power should be considered a, a technical fix, uh, a, a change to fix an ambiguity in the law, uh, I think is just one more reason to think they can't possibly be trusted with it. How have courts dealt with uh, this kind of issue in the past relating particularly to national security and these ambiguous terms? Well, courts haven't dealt much with national security letters because they don't go through courts. Although, in some cases, people have, in fact, challenged the gag orders that come with these national security letters. Part of this is that unlike a search warrant where the police come to your house and knock on your door and search your house, or a, or a normal criminal wiretap where they don't tell you while they're wiretapping you, but after the fact, whether they accuse you of anything or not, they have to let you know the wiretapping happened. Uh, national security letters come with gag orders, and so they're never revealed to the target. Uh, which means there's just not a whole lot of litigation. Uh, to the extent that there is, it would probably be before the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, which again means we wouldn't find out a whole lot about it. Um, what the courts have said in general is that there is a certain amount of executive branch deference in the case of uh, national security cases when it comes to the question of whether a warrant is required. But the idea that in the name of national security, uh, the records of people not even suspected of a connection to terrorism um, would be swept up with without even you know the idea that, uh, that there's a probable cause basis uh, for those records, whether or not a judge reviews it, uh, seems frankly incredible to me. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Read more of his work at Cato.org.